Welcome to Decades From Home, a podcast about the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. And all without saying, Aufgeben ist niemals eine Option. I'm Nick Outen of 40percentgerman.com and I'm joined by my co-host Simon, big no to the sandals, Maddox. How are you, Simon? <laughs> I'm doing really well. How are you, mate? Uh, yeah, I'm just plodding along. A, a big high after last week's episode and yeah, back to reality, yeah? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's been a very gentle come down. I still... Every now and again, I, I play a clip to myself and I'm like, oh my God, I played FIFA today and I was like, oh, Derek, yeah, you know, my buddy Derek. Yeah. <laughs> he said, good question. <laughs> I mean, every time he said good question, I don't want to be dead falling, but I did get a proper buzz out of when he yeah. said good question. I said, yeah, I know it's a good question, Derek. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a fantastic time. I absolute joy having him on and yeah, the feedback we've had so far has been really positive. It went went as well as I could have hoped, really. And if you haven't listened to yeah. episode 83, how bloody dare you? Go back and listen to it now. Enjoy the uh, uh, lilting tones of Derek Ray and the dulcet tones of me and Simon. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it was really fantastic. But I don't want to spend all day talking about Mr. Ray. Uh, you've got an interesting idea that you've been thinking about, haven't you, with regards to how to involve our listeners more in in what we're doing or just to get involved with listeners in general yeah i mean i'm not proposing we like take your money in a betting ring or anything but <laughs> pyramid scheme <laughs> <laughs> have you seen these vaginal eggs uh, anyway <laughs> stop showing me your fucking eggs nick um hey i got them from gloop i thought i was going to be doing some gangbusters here oh god it's not like selling tupperware <laughs> jesus christ this is this is going off the rails i uh, say so yeah, my idea as beautiful and innocent as it was, uh, one of the things that I've done for many, many years and many millions of people do around the world is play fantasy football, mm. uh, the Premier League version. And it is, it's brought joy and arguments to our friendship group. And we just last uh, weekend, we had our end of season get together where trophies were handed out, cups were handed out, a medal I still have, and people collected their winnings. So I thought we must have a few people who listen, who play fantasy football as well. And I thought, why not float the idea of starting a decade from home Premier League Fantasy Football League? Uh, so if you are at all interested in being in a league with me and Nick, yeah, let, let us know. Reach out. I can't promise that I won't completely destroy you because I take this very, very seriously. However, I can assure you that Nick sucks at it. So you, <laughs> you've so got bad. a good chance of beating him. I remember your best piece of advice for me was, Nick, you need to play it with your head, not with your heart. And I was like, but I just want to have a Newcastle defence. Yeah. That's all. I want all the Newcastle players. Nick is by far <laughs> the most emotionally driven fantasy football player that I've ever dealt with. I mean, if you really want to see what it's like to be beaten by Simon quite horrifically and then smash me up and down the place, then yeah. Let us know if you want, to, want us to set up a, a fantasy football league and you can join us and make fun of me over... Twitter, I guess. I say if, if we can get 10 people at least, I, that's, yeah. I think that's pretty realistic. Then we can start a league. I'll even, out of my own pocket, get a trophy. You heard this, listener. A fan can win the trophy. That Simon's going to keep. <laughs> I am going to try my hardest to keep it, I promise you. And it will go proudly on my mantelpiece. But yeah, so if you are interested, let us know. Reach out uh, on Twitter to me at Decades From Home, Nick at 40% German, or you can email the show. Any of those options are all absolutely fine. You can even Instagram me. I check that every now and again. Well, sadly, I missed the presentation of the Fantasy Football League trophy because uh, my stupid family were in town. Yeah, My dad and my stepmother decided to rock up on their way to a holiday in Italy. It's funny when my, my dad and my stepmom turn up because they're quite, they're quite upper middle class, which is nice, but it reminds me of how the communication differs between middle class British people and Germans. Mm -hmm. And there was a lovely moment, I think on Saturday night, where my stepmother clearly was happy drinking water. And my wife was like, do you want to drink? And my stepmother said, no, I'll just have the water. And what my wife heard was, I want a range of different options for you to bring out for me. And then I want you to like basically force me to have a drink. And she, I caught her in the kitchen and she was pulling all these bottles out the fridge. And I was like, look. She just wants water, honestly. She's not being polite. She just wants water. And she's like, no, nah, not at all. And she like steamed out with like Radler and all this other stuff. 
eventually my stepmother took a, a rattle and they were like saying how much it was how nice it was they only drank drank half of it which tells you a, a tale i think in itself <laughs> so it was just nice and it was really pleasant and it was just funny those little dynamics that you see that you it reminds you a little bit of what it was like when you first arrived so mm-hmm. things like we went to get an ice cream and and it was just me and my dad left and the woman came over and said how much it was and my dad just looked at us with wide eyes and I was like, I didn't quite catch what she said because I wasn't paying attention. I was like, I think she said 14. Turned out she said 40. Um, <gasps> so, ice cream? <laughs> you know what it's like when your dad's paying. I was like, I'll have the biggest one. <laughs> uh, so, Give me all the sprinkles. <laughs> yeah, too, right? I was like, I was like, keep, keep them coming. Um, so we had those sort of little moments and then we took them to the... To, you, do you know when you do like really ordinary stuff that you do every day in Germany, but to anyone else, it's kind of a wild experience. Yeah. So we went and got ice cream and they were like, oh, wow, this is really, really nice. We don't have this back in no. in Newcastle. And I'm like, yeah, well, yeah, because the wind would blow your ice cream down the street, you know, <laughs> would, you'd have no chance. And then we went to the park and we've got a lake in the park. So, of course, it was a hot day. So everybody's in the park. Just loads of people doing like doing loads of different stuff. And it, I, I think I, I kind of shocked them because we don't, we don't really use parks in that way in, in Newcastle, at least, because if you want to go sit next to a body of water, you go to the beach, right? Yeah. You don't just go to a park with a big pond. So I think they just enjoyed all of that and they seemed really, really just chilled out by the whole experience. So happy days. Nice. If anything, uh, that's that's what we can we can do for my family is they come from Britain all stressed out and they just like leave all relaxed. But yeah, it was good. But it's nice to have my house back and my office back and all of those things. Yeah. You know what it's like. But I mean, yeah, it's, it's, of course, it's always an absolute pleasure to be visited by family. But I say the uh, it's easy to get after over a decade here. You do mm. forget how special little moments are. Um, mm-hmm. I've, I think I've mentioned before that the one that always got me for the longest time in my first apartment here, when I walked down the hill past the, the castle into Nuremberg, mm. into the Halfmarkt, and there's, yeah, there's a beautiful church, really famous one. There's the Brunner. There's all the stuff that, always kind of like blew my mind a little bit but it's very easy when you, you see Lawrence Kirke in Nuremberg so many times you're like oh yeah it's just it's just a nice church and everyone else turns up it's like it's fucking Batman church yeah, it's incredible exactly. right, yeah. look at it yeah <laughs> um, yeah yeah. it is easy to kind of forget how, how lucky we are here but also you mentioned about ice cream parlours and I, I do think that they are they're glorious and almost Italian in their style down here in Bayern especially mm. but what they don't have that I miss and I think it's a beautiful thing is a man in a Ford Transit driving around selling Mr. Whippies and frozen things. That's true. Doesn't exist here. And there was magic in those vans. Yeah. No, there was. There was pure magic. Those Mr. Whippy machines are insane. The only place I've had anything like a Mr. Whippy was at the uh, Volksfest to have those like industrial ice cream outlets and they've just got like a soft serve essentially. Yeah. I think it was a few years ago I went back to Newcastle with my wife and we're walking along the beach and we heard the the faint sort mm-hmm. of tinkle tinkle of the ice cream van and uh, i sort of ran off excitedly <laughs> and i said where are you going <laughs> it's gone just uh, muscle memory off i went and then um i got an ice cream and i think my wife was expecting it to be like uh, an ice dealer is here but then she she likes a sort of cactus ice or one of those mm-hmm. sort of solero things and stuff like that so it was fine but i was like i'll have a 99 and my wife was like what a 99 i was just just wait and as he was giving it to us i went oh by the way it's my birthday and he went it's your really birthday and i showed him my id and he's like well you can have two flakes then mate and he gave us two flakes and he put like loads of stuff on top of it and everything and <laughs> i was just like yeah and my wife was just like what what is that and i was like it's a 99 it's like a tradition mr whippy ice cream with a chocolate flake in it yeah it was amazing and it tasted well it just tastes of cold milk it doesn't taste like <laughs> gelato or anything like that but it's still gorgeous yeah uh, it's very pavlovian as you say like the ringing of the bell mm-hmm. sprinting to the van mm-hmm. ordering the thing that you don't really actually want compared to a lot of other options and then ramming mm-hmm. it down the gullet with joy getting a brain freeze yeah <laughs> someone shared a picture the other day of a museum i think it was uh, near greenwich yeah. in london and they had 99s for four pounds round. Oh. Uh, so it wasn't even 399. They shat all over the tradition and legacy 
this icon. Disgusting. How dare they? It's got to be at least a 99 in there. Yeah. I mean, I've, I'm old enough to remember them being 99 pence, mm. so that says it all. The the other the other variation on the theme is, and I didn't realise this until I went and moved to Scotland, is they have ice cream vans, but they're much more pedestrian. They sell like sweets, not ice creams necessarily. And the one, uh, my introduction to the icy, as they called it, when I was in a state, was um, them selling single cigarettes for 25 <laughs> pence. So you get like, uh, everyone's queuing up and I was like, oh, we're going to get some ice cream. He's like, no, we're getting, we're getting single cigarettes for 25p. Um, so yeah, it says everything about this sort of cultural difference really. But as a profitable business back then, if you think a pack of smokes would have been, what, about £3.50 back then? Oh, no, I think it might have been even a bit less, like three pounds, something okay. like that. So I think I was paying four quid so. when I started smoking. Hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, but yeah, it's so. good business selling singles, but highly illegal, I, I believe. <laughs> highly illegal, indeed. <laughs> but it, it did speak to uh, a Scottish culture that I would soon soon fall in love with. So. <laughs> Fried food and, and single cigarettes at the ice. Oh, what a treat. <laughs> <laughs> Those of you who listened to episode 83 will notice that we didn't really talk about something that we probably should have done, but I think you can forgive us due to to having uh, such a wonderful guest in Derek Ray. But the thing that we wanted to talk about but didn't have a chance to discuss was Boris Johnson resigned. Yeah, except he didn't. Because he's also still the Prime Minister. Yeah. So what the hell happened? Well, Boris Johnson, after a career of lies, <laughs> being a Prime Minister of lies, lying through his teeth on numerous occasions as Prime Minister, whether in regards to dealing with COVID or dealing with his wallpaper or dealing with his MPs, finally was brought down over a scandal that revolved around Chris Pincher, who was accused of assaulting two men in the in a club bar, I think it was. It was a yeah, private, pr- private members club. Yeah, in London, and of course Boris Johnson dealt with that in the way he deals with everything by lying. And uh, it came out that he had been lying, and there was so much pressure finally accumulated. Someone said it's not quite the straw that broke the camel's back. Uh, it's more like the final straw that broke the final vertebrae of the camel, camel's back because <laughs> there's been a number so far. And it basically resulted in numerous resignations. There was a point two weeks ago where I think it was something like 43 members of the cabinet had resigned and Boris Johnson was fighting on and you had this really weird situation. He was in front of a committee while getting text messages about all the MPs who were waiting in 10 Downing Street to tell him to resign. And you had this total farce that it's kind of how you would expect Boris Johnson's leadership to to end in both ways. It ended in ignominy, but also it ended by not ending. It's kind of like how he did Brexit, but never actually did Brexit because he's still prime minister, but he is no longer the leader of the Conservative Party, which doesn't seem to make much difference. And what we have now in all this excitement, Simon, is a Tory leadership contest. Oh my God, it's so exciting these really nice people just want to lead, lead the country <laughs> and just understand how a leadership contest works in britain because this takes a level of understanding that we don't have an election no. there isn't a general election where we elect the next prime minister what happens is the tory party gets together presents some candidates and they whittle them down through a series of different votes of the 370 odd MPs that are still Tories in the uh, in the House of Commons, and they vote until they get two candidates, and then those two candidates are offered to the Tory party members to elect, which number in the hundreds of thousands. So essentially, we've got the same kind of franchise system that we had in or around like 1790. So uh, we've got like 100,000 people electing the prime minister. It's a good system. And of course, we've got a fantastic selection of candidates. Mm. Simon, do you want to Tell us about some of them candidates. Oh. They're so great. Oh. They're so good. I mean, these are all people I knew everything about beforehand because they're, they're such key members of the government and have really, really been making making the place ship shape for a while now. So yeah, let's look at them. So we'll start with the one I like the most, the fact that I, I actually quite like him, which is incredible for a Tory. Like He's all right. Tom Tugendhat, who is quite normal as far as they go. Uh, he's also a former uh, army officer. Uh, he does mention that quite a lot, but he also mm-hmm. does it like tongue in cheek now. So he knows <laughs> that he's sort of overplaying that a bit, but he has no other option. It's such a key thing for, in terms of honor, 
dignity, following the rules. These are all key words for some of the people voting for the leadership campaign. So I think it's a, it's a good move. He said uh, in an interview, what was his worst trait? And he said, I think I mentioned that I was in the military too much uh, with a wry smile. But I mean, wry smiles aside, I'm not particularly amazed by his, uh, his stall that he's setting out of, I will be serious and do serious <laughs> things. It's, again, as much as I probably think he's a better option is maybe not the right word, is an option for the leader of the Tory party. Yeah, still can't see past the fluff. I mean, I, I've said that I, I like him. I want to put that in a sort of a clearer context of what I mean. I mean, <laughs> if I was stuck in an elevator with any of them, he's the one that I think I could survive. Like, I'd be okay having to deal with him in a <laughs> confined space. Uh, and I think the others, it would be problematic to do that. So that's what I mean when I say like. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't have a huge amount of ministerial experience he's never held a ministerial post and of course that makes him an easy target for the other candidates and anyone within the party who doesn't want him they can just point at his lack of ministerial experience which is it is a jump <laughs> to go to the pm position the prime minister without being a minister first boris johnson had that position yeah like he had lots of experience and he was a big steaming pile yeah. so i mean if we're going by who's the most experienced then he's as good as the next one i guess so who's after mr turgenhart who else have we got uh so next we have uh kemi badenoch ah, and yes. yeah i mean the guardian article i'm using for this describes first few words are a surprise entrance into the tory leadership race uh but she has her poll numbers in the last few days we're recording on monday so it could have all changed by the time this comes out but there's an insurgent part of the Conservatives that really like her. She's young, she's a person of colour, she's female, and of course these are huge opportunities for the Conservatives to gain votes that they haven't necessarily done particularly well with. Uh, so she's she's doing well with the young, and of course that's very hard for Conservatives, especially the current Conservative Party, uh, to connect with young people. New MPs also like her as well, but she is... Uh, to use the, the favourite recurring phrase of the Conservatives, she is anti-woke and a, a small state anti-woke Tory at that. Like She's hitched her wagon to identity politics, uh, free speech, all the sort of Tucker Carlson, Fox News talking points, everything the Daily Mail wants to talk about. Kemi is very, very happy uh, to talk about those things as well. I mean, I can't see her getting to the final two because uh, I think for the party she probably is too extreme well i'll give you a, a taste of kemi badenoch's crack as it were which is a statement that she posted on july 17th on her twitter account we have a lot to be proud of we got brexit done and what the prime minister did on ukraine and on the vaccines was fantastic serving in government is not easy it requires taking difficult decisions and i'm just like blah 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 yeah. blah blah got brexit done right if i hear another fucking tory <laughs> tell me they've got brexit done why the fuck are we talking about the Northern Ireland Protocol? Why are we even discussing it? If Brexit is done, yeah. then like that's a meaning. It's just meaningless shite, right? All the bollocks about bloody woke this and oh, it's woke people are the problem, and we need yeah. to get rid of the wokeness that we're dealing with, and blah blah blah. And you're like, I would like to know why we wrote off 4.5 billion in fraud debt at the start of the year. I'd like to know why we did that. Like, I'm less worried about people who have opinions on transgender rights and slavery and empire than I am about people who clearly just throw money down the toilet. And of course, the man responsible for that money is also a candidate. We'll talk about him in just a minute. But one final thing on Kemi, to contrast with Tom uh, Tugendhat, he talks about his military experience. And one thing that we're seeing Kemi mentioning a lot now uh, is that she flipped burgers. Uh, she had a job at McDonald's, this idea that yeah, connecting to, to normal people uh, through that means yeah um and of course there are two sides to the story uh there's her side where it's like i had to do this to to live my life uh and then people point out that her parents are like a doctor and some other oh. middle class position so let's celebrate her her summer job that she did i worked in mcdonald's for a summer like can i be prime minister as well yeah, it makes you a man of the people my boy you really got, <laughs> got yeah. almost as much experience so yeah that's kemi next on the menu uh, we have penny morden and Petty Morden is doing pretty well so far. Pretty much second place front runner, but she's also polling equal with none of the above. 
uh, I think, as far as options go. So it's not a slam dunk uh, so far for Penny. Yeah, her opening video, the campaign video, was pretty incredible. Uh, if you haven't seen that and you can't find it, then just play season one, episode one of Little Britain uh, and you'll very much get the tone that she was aiming for, like making Britain feel warm and fuzzy inside while Spitfires fly past this obnoxious, ridiculous. patriotic bullshit nonsense. Uh, and that's very much her her lane at the moment. Uh, and as we've mentioned with Tom, military, Kemi, flipped burgers, Penny is a reservist in the Navy, uh, and she is leaning very hard on her quote-unquote military experience, military training. And it's now got to the point where active officers within the Navy are now publicly speaking out about her lack of actual experience. And so, yeah, I think it's not great <laughs> to to ruffle the feathers uh, of any branch of the armed forces. It's even worse when you're a member of that branch, blowing your own trumpet about how great you are within it, forcing senior command to make statements to the contrary. Not great. No, I mean, she's another bit of a damn squib. Like, she gave a speech at the press conference for her announcement of being in the leadership contest and and she says the same stuff as everyone else is saying i'm here for small government and tax cuts and she said something about how it was like she was at glastonbury and and how paul mccartney came on stage and what everyone wanted was to hear the hits they didn't want the new stuff and that's what she was going to be she was going to do the the tory hits basically (laughs) and it was one of those things where you're just like come on man like what kind of crack is that it's so paint by numbers there's no idea there there was a quote that she'd given during the leadership debate and she said this is the quote and you tell me simon if you can understand Mm -hmm. what it means i'm ready i'm braced the top 180 innovations that we have had how many are used in the nhs none what the fuck does that mean and she posted that on her account with like a, a photo of her and the quotation marks and all the branding for her campaign. And I was just like, it's just this meaningless thing. And she apparently deleted it uh, or her uh, media team deleted it soon after. But it was just this meaningless gack that they're just spouting. And it's totally just insane, the stuff that she says and the claims that they're making as well. Um, it's just totally, totally wild. Yeah, I mean, she does quite openly commit to saying that uh, her is a, a campaign by a group this isn't her just leading like she's being advised in in many different ways to do this but obviously that is a pretty wild sentiment and um i didn't think of this before we spoke but uh, i just have quickly googled list of british innovations uh sub uh menu medicine uh number Mm -hmm. two is the smallpox vaccine pretty sure we're still using that i think so number three surgical forceps there you go quite useful uh antisepsis uh, from Joseph Lister, like, yep, yeah, that's still the clinical thermometer. <laughs> I think those are still still being used. I think they're pretty useful. It's the meaningless, directionless, just rubbish that they're all spouting. They're all mm. like versions of the same robot, you know. They're just like spouting the same platitudes to the public. But yeah, it seems to go well for Penny because she is she's female. She's she's blonde and she's she's. Uh, attractive in the eyes of conservative voters in more than one way and yeah people seem to be drawn to her on a, on a personality level and of course this is what got them into the trouble they're in now uh, cults of personality are not what the mm. conservatives need uh, at the moment so but there's no one of any substance as you rightly say uh, Mordon is interesting because she is a, a front runner to a certain extent she seems to have a lot of popularity within the party but it's been pointed out that she was basically non-existent as an assistant to David Frost during the Brexit negotiations that she was regularly not available and you're like who's briefing that that's people in the Tory party briefing that there's people who are actively briefing against her already which suggests that there's people who don't really like her and she's also been under attack from Kemi Badnock because Kemi Badnock's anti-woke because that's Mm -hmm. the other angle that you can take and uh, there was basically Penny Morden's um position on trans issues which she's tried to downplay and blame policies that being able to change your your gender are being introduced by Theresa May uh, and it wasn't her it wasn't her governor you know and it's just like come on man like the one decent thing you did and you're trying to back off from it just so you can pander to a load of like vile Tory party members just seems totally just bankrupt 
It, yeah, that's, that's a term we could uh, attach to pretty much all of the people running in this campaign because, yeah, you have to be morally bankrupt. Like, There's an opportunity for someone to actually do something and none of them are mm-hmm. even attempting to rise to the moment. Well, but before we sum it up, let's go through the next Margaret Thatcher cosplayer on the panel in, uh, in Liz Truss. Uh, so Liz Truss, uh, which is, yeah, Thatcher 2.0 seems to basically be going through Thatcher's Instagram and just be like, oh, I like that outfit. She wore it there. Literally, yeah. We're going to Russia. <laughs> I've got the perfect outfit. And her voice has changed as well to become more Thatcher-esque. But did you see the video the other day where she was, I guess she would have been 19, 18 years old, uh, where she was a Republican uh, speaking publicly about how the, the monarchy she's should be. Young Lib Dems, wasn't she? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, she's been uh, anti-monarchist, a Lib Dem, uh, she was against Brexit, and now she's yeah. the Brexiteer of these options, pretty much. they All the Brexiters are on board with the, the Liz train. They're all fucking Brexiters, aren't they? But, I mean, Liz Truss is hilarious for so many reasons. Mm-hmm. One of the best bits was the fact that Jacob Rees-Mogg and Nadine Dorries, the yeah. culture, media, and sport secretary, they came out and said that uh, they're in support of Liz Truss and how she's the the bigger Brexiter than anyone else. And you're like, she did campaign for Remain, you yeah. absolute dullards. When I look at Liz Truss, she looks like a lobotomized Margaret Thatcher. Yeah, yeah. She looks like it's yeah. like nothing happening behind her eyes. She literally looks like she's processing like basic data points. Like sky is blue, <laughs> ground under feet. <laughs> People talking to me say words, words, words. <laughs> she just looks like an like totally empty, totally vacuous. Has nothing constructive to say on anything. She's another one who's talking about bloody how they got Brexit done and mm. how she did this, that, and the other. Memorably, almost started nuclear war by insulting Vladimir Putin. And it was uh, Vladimir Putin directly referenced Liz Truss in the reason for that began a process of sort of checking their nuclear weapons and they announced it and it was based on something Liz Truss had said. And I'm like, well, that doesn't surprise me that the world will end because <laughs> your Truss empty is- vessel said something dumb once. She's not moral in any, and she will say whatever she feels she has to. So she's even taken the interesting position of slandering her old school, <laughs> claiming that they weren't taught to read properly. And, of course, the whole time that she was in school was under a conservative government, so it's also a, a beautiful, tasty little self-own as well. She's been sort of uh, attacking everyone. She's like a whirling dervish on them mm. uh, debates. She's just, like, spinning at anything that comes at her and just throwing any old, like, junk at people, you know. It's just really... She also managed to get lost uh, leaving her, <laughs> her campaign launch in a room with one door. <laughs> yeah. There's a video where someone's done the, the voiceover of a shepherd and his dog. <laughs> yeah, seen that, yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Totally perfect. Uh, God help us if she becomes prime minister. Yeah. Um, I bet the Labour Party will be pissing their pants, mind. It, it would be a dream for the Labour Party. That is their ideal candidate, surely. I mean, the thing they could do is just send her like a Spot the Difference book or like a Where's Wally and that'll put her out of action for about six weeks in the campaign and you'll not see her. She'll be like, oh, where's, where's Liz Truss? Oh, she's... Uh, She's just finishing West Wally. She's got a, got a new Vimmel book. <laughs> oh, dear. Look at all the pretty pictures. Yeah, honestly. Honestly. And and that leads us to Rishi. I've got working class friends. No, not really. Sunak. Yeah, that's the man. Former chancellor. So this is the richest member of our government ever, I assume? Oh, no, he's not ever. He's just one of the richest. Okay, one of the richest. He's also a US green card holder. He was. He gave it up eventually. Okay, so he's given up not because of the goodness of his heart and his love for his country. It's because people found out. He had it He had it when he, when he was chancellor. And then yeah, he yeah, he was yeah. chancellor as effectively an American citizen. It's an interesting position to be in. Mm-hmm. Rishi talks about how he's got an eye for the details and instead launched a campaign where the word campaign was misspelt with an extra I in it. Good work, Rishi. And yeah, he is our old chancellor and he's responsible for, I guess, the biggest write-off in history. Tens of billions of pounds written off, unable to be recovered from criminal enterprise and mass negligence. I don't know how how he's going to twist that into a positive. How could he run the country when he couldn't even run a budget, never mind everything else? I think it'll be Sunak because if we're talking about just pure performance, which often is enough to win an an election, let alone a a leadership debate, 
He's much slicker. He's been planning this. It turned mm. out since at least December when the website that he's using to promote his campaign was registered in sort of like the start of December. His release video was the slickest video of them all. And, and it was him going, oh, let me tell you a story about my humble upbringing. And you're like, you're married to a billionaire, mate. You're yeah. a millionaire in your own right. Like, let's not be pretending about your humble upbringing, you know? Like, he comes from privilege, you know? But ultimately, the thing is, it's hilarious, actually, if you think about it. The reason Rishi Sunak even had a profile was because of his policies during COVID, mm -hmm. where they had the furlough and they were paying people who couldn't work. And the laugh-a-minute riot about that is the fact that he became popular because of left-wing economic policies and became unpopular as soon as he started doing traditional right-wing economic policies, which he's doing now. And he's the one who's raised people's taxes and national insurance. He's the one who's failed to deal with the cost of living crisis. And he's then turned around going, oh, I've got these great ideas in my bag that I'm going to pull out when I'm mm. prime minister. And I'm like, and actually, interestingly, this is what Liz Truss had said. So maybe I'm doing a disservice saying she's a totally empty vessel. She doesn't know how to bite the hand that feeds her, of course. So she uh, she said, well, if you've been the chancellor for so long and where are all these great plans? Um, we didn't really have an answer for that. So Yeah, it, he is targetable, that's for sure, on his policy. I mean, you mentioned uh, left-wing policy being effective for him. Uh, it's also going to be used against him as a weapon. Um, Jacob Rees-Mogg described him as, quote, a socialist chancellor. Uh, <laughs> Fuck off, Jacob Rees-Mogg. What Jacob Rees-Mogg thinks about anything can be written on a tiny piece of paper and shoved up his ass yeah. because it's totally meaningless. Yeah, but it's not meaningless to members of the Conservative Party, unfortunately. like There are yeah. people who are going to vote, who are going to hear those words and, and act on them. <laughs> this... This former banker who is a millionaire and married to a billionaire is a socialist. Yeah. I'm just like, oh, how fucking dumb are you? Yeah. Really? But I think for Jacob Rees-Mogg, anything socialism is like giving a piece of bread to your waiting staff as like a tip. <laughs> uh, true. Yeah. True that. So yeah, they're all really shit and uh, it's all really depressing. It's kind of entertaining seeing like all these candidates just climbing over each other to be prime minister. And it's one of those classic situations where when they get it, what are they going to do with it? Because they're all like talking all this tax cuts and everything. The IMF came out, was it today or yesterday, saying you really shouldn't be doing tax cuts no. on your economy. And they're talking about small government at a point where where 14% of people are, uh, wasn't it 14 million people, sorry, are living below the poverty line. And you're like, I think small government's not going to solve your problems, mate. No. So like, it's laughable and depressing and... I just try not to look at it directly because it's evil. I think that this is the the thing that frames it beautifully is that we are able to watch this from a safe distance. Any other Brits living in Germany will have the same feeling of like, oh my god, this is a, a living nightmare. But luckily, I'm here, and any Germans will just be like, yeah, okay, our government isn't isn't great, but it could it could be worse. It could and be much worse. So now we've had two televised live debates and it seems like everyone's going to pull out of the third one on Sky News. Um, so why, why are they pulling out? Are they pulling out because they're total like... Because they realise that it's not going very well for any of them, I <laughs> it's think. so hilarious, that. Yeah. And nobody's shone. It turns out our debating skills are dog shit, so we're pulling out of the third debate. Well, I mean, it's not only the really bad tactics, they're just reverting to cannibalism. Like, they're just attacking everything about each other. The only hope the Conservatives have of any success in a general election is by coming out with policies that are sort of even-handed, and they're all just saying, get Brexit done, over and over again. Do you reckon they're going to do like a private debate on their own? They're just going to have their own little debate. I reckon what they're going to do is it's going to be stripped to the waist knife fight. That's how it's going to go. See, I, I was imagining like a wooden sword and a little leather um, shield and like, yeah, close combat that way. Now, nah, butcher knives. That's what it's going to be. <laughs> I have a feeling Liz Truss will win that, weirdly, but we'll see. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't see her feeling pain. <laughs> just <laughs> does not compute. <laughs> you could have, should have seen it she got slashed and she didn't even move she got she got cold eyes like a shark <laughs> so yeah to wrap this up we do have uh five key points from the second debate uh again from the guardian the first one the headline it summarizes what we, we could have done the whole thing on this everyone hates rishi <laughs> so yeah. everyone's targeting rishi mr sunak sorry so yeah it's not gone well for him and, of course, taxation spending, like Nick mentioned, are 
the best offer they're giving at the moment. They're all talking about lowering taxes. And of course, they're able to make these offers because their party has now raised tax to the highest level in 100 years, uh, I want to mm. say. Longer? Ever? I don't know. Uh, taxes are fucking high. And uh, yeah, so they can lower them because of how high they are. Uh, so <sighs> the second, everyone hates Rishi, but apparently everyone hates Boris even more. Uh, so Nick, yeah. do you hate Boris more now that he's not gone gone? <laughs> Just hate what he represents. So, yeah, I guess I do hate him. <laughs> well, he's been in a jet today. Does that make you feel more connected to the man? Oh, fucking honestly, if I see another Boris Johnson on his fucking summer holidays <laughs> as he's been paid by the state to be the fucking leader of the country, <laughs> fuck off, honestly. Yeah, if he turns up on Kosan Road in a pair of fucking baggy trousers, like that is, yeah. that's the end. Like, I'm done with this topic. Keep just get through it. Get through this. I'm gonna I'm gonna punch a wall or something. <laughs> okay. Point three: the cost of living crisis not being taken seriously at all, and this really is a problem. They're talking about tax cuts, of course not, but they're not being asked real direct questions about how they're going to tackle uh, the cost of living crisis. Obviously, this is a global situation. It is more expensive here in Germany as well. It's not just a Brexit problem. But people are in a really bad situation there and it has to be dealt with. Uh, what has happened now, you're listening, this is already in the past, the heat wave. Of course, parts of the UK are going to have record temperatures. 38 uh, degrees Celsius is going to be going on in Yorkshire. Mm. I've never come close to experiencing that. So yeah, people are going to die. It's not going to be great. And the government has not been particularly good. We should just enjoy the weather, I think, is what Dominic Rabb said. We should just enjoy the weather. Yeah, get out in the sun and don't worry if you get heat stroke. Just like have a can we of carling, have an ice pop, you'll be fine. They were telling people to... Uh, to not take trains today so i mean yeah come on but it's not because of the, they're caring about the safety of the individual people it's because they're worried about the tracks failing L literally melting yeah, yeah yeah so i mean this is not great i uh, say so it's become a culture war which is a really interesting thing to do with <laughs> with global warming mm. and yeah the fifth point the guardian make is that mudslinging uh can rebound and of course this has been the main issue they're having obviously they're racing against each other but they're not being very nice about it and it's only a matter of time before they all just get covered in each other's shit. Oh, well, I hope that happens. I hope they televise it, because I would quite like to see uh, Rishi Sunak covered in human feces. So mm. it turns out that's my kink. That's, 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 <laughs> you, you do you. Uh, so that's the end. I hope that wasn't too painful. Uh, and yeah, hopefully the general election comes along soon and we can forget about all these fuckers soon. So while the... Tory party has been uh, engulfed in uh, Tory on Tory violence. The leader of the Labour Party was in Berlin yeah. last week. Didn't quite understand what he was doing there, really. Uh, obviously, to raise his profile, I think being close to Berlin always looks good in the uh, uh, on the campaign. Shows he's sort of serious government doing serious work. I think part of it is also the fact that he can't say he thinks Brexit's a big steaming pile. So this is kind of the next best thing. Mm. He went to Europe and shook hands with Olaf Scholz. But even though he went to Berlin to schmooze with the upper echelons of German government, he did get himself into a bit of bother online because the never, uh, never afraid of a bit of publicity, Keir Starmer and I think it was David Lammy that was with him. It was David Lammy, yeah. They recorded a video that seems to have outraged at least a certain portion of German Twitter because it featured in the video, it was a sort of one of those slow moving camera, Labour will do good things for you and also not reverse Brexit, please vote for us kind of videos. <laughs> but it featured the Holocaust Denkmal in Berlin, the famous memory to the victims of the Holocaust. And it's the concrete blocks that you often see mm -hmm. on stock footage of Berlin. Yeah. Yeah, so that was in the video, and that seems to have caused a lot of uproar. And I was curious, actually, because you found the article. I couldn't find any other reference to the hubbub about him doing it, and I was kind of wondering how much of this was a bit of a storm in a teacup. It's really interesting you make that point, because this is a story that's being covered differently, depending on where you are. Obviously, using Holocaust memorials, any Holocaust memorials, but the one in Berlin in particular, because it is architecturally a good backdrop and a video director looks at it and goes we can get a good shot here and that's what happens on people's weddings people do yoga on it and it is like a policed area people do have a problem with being used for anything beyond memorial 
But the only papers I could find covering this story in the UK about how it's caused an outrage is the Daily Mail and the Daily Express, um, which are right-wing dickheads. Yeah, well, it's horseshit then, isn't it? And they've picked this up from German Twitter uh, and certain German publications, but it isn't being covered uh, in the same tone anywhere else. I kind of felt it was a bit of a storm in a teacup because uh, you just mentioned that about the sort of Instagram influencers doing yoga on it mm-hmm. and people like posting Instagram photos of them doing poses or handstands on the concrete blocks. And it is, I think a lot of people, especially visitors to Berlin, don't appreciate what it is until <laughs> they get there. And I think a lot of people just see it as a nice backdrop, as you said. But it is a fucking memorial to the yeah. dead of the Holocaust. Like, show a little bit of decorum, at least, in that environment. And don't be trying to influence people by doing poses and laughy jumps and funny videos. No, There was an artist, I remember a couple of years ago, did uh, a series of photos with overlays on them. So you had the Instagram photo of someone doing sort of a star jump between the different monuments, and then it overlaid with victims of the Holocaust. Mm. You could swipe along, and it just like overlaid that image on, on top of it. And it was basically making the point of like, this isn't your influencer backdrop. It is a serious yeah. monument. And that's one thing. And understand that vexation and annoyance that Berliners have for their for this monument and the protection that they have for it. But this was just a couple of clips of Keir Starmer and David Lamy walking solemnly through. It wasn't disrespectful. He wasn't doing an Instagram video. He wasn't TikTok. It was just a bit of the video. And so it felt a little bit like, what's the commotion, you know? And it was, it was, I saw the tweet that it attached with, this is from the Berliner Zeitung that was reporting. And it felt very vanilla. Like, and if that offends somebody, I do apologize, but I don't think politicians respectfully walking through the monument on camera is necessarily offensive in the same way that a yoga influencer using it as a, for a TikTok video would be. Yeah, I mean, those, those of course, are two different things. And I think there is also a difference mm. between Keir Starmer doing this and a German politician doing this as well. Of course, it is, without question, a faux pas, a very, very serious faux pas for politicians to use mm. this without directly commenting on what it is. Um, mm-hmm. And that seems to have been one of the big issues that he didn't, like it was using the video without saying this is a memorial for the Jews killed in the Holocaust. And even you mentioned he wrote into the book and that's also gained some interest because he didn't use the word Jew in what he wrote. He said uh, for all the victims of the Holocaust. And of course, a lot of these memorials are for all the different groups who were targeted by the Holocaust. But uh, mm. the one in Mitter, I believe, is exclusively called for the Jews killed during uh, the Holocaust. So, I mean, yeah, it is getting a lot more attention in Germany than it is in the UK. Uh, and the only people pushing that narrative are right-wing newspapers in the UK at the moment. Um, I think for British people, we see that this is an act of respect. He didn't have to go there. Uh, he didn't have to pay his respects, but he did because obviously the Labour Party has some historical issues to deal with in terms of being accused yeah. of being anti-Semitic. Um, so yeah, it is, it's a delicate line for him to try and walk at home and abroad. Um, and yeah, it has it's a bit of a shitstorm to use the German <laughs> it is and it isn't like i hate it when these sort of sites are misused these sort of sites of memorial or memory or these sites that were formerly in use by the national socialists like there's a way you've meant to approach those things but and i kind of understand it like you've got to protect the memory and you've got to protect how it's discussed and talked about because it's a really important aspect of German society and it's and it's an important thing to Jewish communities and, and that's totally understandable. But I think at the same time, it's not being misused, I don't think. It could have been dealt with better. I think a bit of mm. awareness of what they were doing would have been helpful. It does feel like another one of those like needless mistakes where all yeah. it needs to do is like mention what it is or talk about it or that's the thing, there's definitely no malice uh in their conduct whatsoever. And I think that's why it hasn't been picked up by everyone as being a huge problem mm. so yeah it's interesting that yeah coming to berlin to germany to visit with politicians and uh, to sort of get some integrity going to uh, to try and build relationships for the future because of course 
that's the other issue. The conservatives with their Brexit agenda have definitely damaged relationships mm. with countries like Germany. And so mm -hmm. it's definitely important that if Starmer is to, to win the next general election, that he's got people he can come to immediately and get some support because he's going to need it for sure. Well, as I said on Twitter, I hope he took a good look at the Grundgesetz and had a conversation <laughs> with someone about yeah. proportional representation because those two things would be mighty useful yeah. in Britain at the moment. But we'll see, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've talked about Silt a fair few times, most of the time with a bit of a chip on our proverbial shoulders. And of course, Silt is an island way up there in the north, and it is a, a shicky mickey spot, to use the German. It is where the rich folk go on their holidays. It's a lovely little island. There are no cars, and there are no poor people, ideally, uh, for a lot of these rich people. And of course, the punks, with their nine-euro tickets, caused some commotion. And that wasn't the end for Silts this year. They've also got in the papers because a politician flew there in his private jet himself. How dare he? Um, of course, this is Mertz flying to the Linda Hochside, the Linda wedding, up in Silt. Because if you're a leader of a party, you get married in Silt. Because why not? And if you're the leader of the CDU, you fly yourself there in your own private jet. With loads of people? No, just you and your wife. Yeah, so this is the wedding of Christian Lindner. His wedding was held in the island of Silt, and it, it was a, a who's who of political yeah. uh, celebrities, if we can use that term sort of loosely. Well, I mean, there was no Boris Becker and there's no Hasselhoff, so it's not a real celebrity German wedding. I'm just going to put that out there. It's not great. It wasn't great. And I don't think Till Schweiger was there either, but he's got a house on Silt, so I'm yep. surprised maybe you could see them from his window. <laughs> It was attended by uh, the CDU leader, Frederick Mertz. In attendance was the former leader, um, Armin Laschet, mm. who turned up. Uh, there was quite a funny video doing the rounds of a celebrity sort of interviewer getting him to say, is so, which is his sort of famous dialect slogan that he has. Mm -hmm. And he asked him, is so, and he's like, is so. And then he's like, yeah, <laughs> like celebrating as if he'd won the World Cup. So, um, yeah, and Mertz turned up in his little Cessna, was it single double engine? I can't remember, oh. little silver plane that he rocked up in. There was an article from a flying magazine that I, I nearly <laughs> used for this, but I was like, I don't want to read it from, <laughs> from their perspective. So I don't know what kind of plane it was. Was it during the leadership campaign? Because he's been, his two he's had in the last year, the one when they were attempting to choose who would be the chancellor candidate. And I remember in the debate, he described himself as middle class. Yeah. And I'm like, oh yeah, he's in his middle class plane flying <laughs> to his middle class destination in Silt to go to a very expensive middle class wedding. He's anything but uh, I mean he's a funny he's a funny fella. He took time out if I think it was a, a number of years he took out of politics and he became incredibly wealthy having various positions on on boards and supervisory boards. And then he came back because you know he's a man of the people. Mm -hmm. He just wants to do right. Yep. Um for his party and as for his nation. It's nothing to do with his profile or his ego. Uh, so <laughs> So what did you think? Did were you uh like, did you think it was a bit? It was a bit ridiculous, or were you sort of? This is typical Frederick Mertz and his his hoity-toity ways. Or how did you feel about time? <laughs> I mean, I think if I hadn't lived here, I'd probably be like oh, Jesus Christ, that is really stupid. But especially down in Bavaria, there are a lot of people that fly as a hobby. Um, there are lots of mm. like old airstrips that are still in use, and lots of gliding clubs and that kind of thing. And I've had students who, when I met them, I thought they were normal people, had normal jobs. They weren't upper-class jet engine owners, but they flew as their hobby. They made enough money for that to be their hobby. And so it's, it's kind of taken the edge off how shocked I am. I think that there's a part of me that's like, okay, yeah, it's pretty cool that you can mm. fly a plane. Like That's not an everyday skill for a politician to have. But of course, it does clash dramatically with the concept of being a middle-class standard this is not normal. Um, Aspirational, though, right? It, 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 like, yeah, I mean, I, Keir Starmer <laughs> didn't fly over in a private jet with David Lammy. Like, this isn't what politicians do. But it does show that he's had time on his hands as well. As you say, he took some time off, became super wealthy, and then returned to the fray of politics. So, yeah, I'm interested how lavish his life was at that point when he was dripping in cash from German banks. It must have been a, a wild time. 
that's the thing with Germans, though, isn't it? Germans don't uh, they don't do conspicuous consumption like the British do. You're not mm. going to see very many golden Lamborghinis. You know, you just they have a very very nice but ordinary car, a very very nice but ordinary house, and a very very nice but ordinary twin engine Cessna. <laughs> so, uh, but you can see a lot of people who a lot of men especially would would probably like to be a bit like Mertz, you know, and have that sort of lifestyle or that those sort of trinkets i think as well because mertz is like painfully uncool like if you just look at him and like hear him talk there is nothing about him that makes you think oh yeah there's a guy i want to hang out with but you see him flying a a plane it's like okay man has hidden depths but it's that mid-50s german man who watched too many james bond movies and now has styled himself on basically what is it on the worst of the james bonds which would be i think in this instance roger moore what what? roger moore no way no way i I, you said this before and i find it deeply upsetting it's the fucking worst james bond roger moore is not the worst bond no he's not mertz is the, the the roger moore of politicians oh like terrible at his job doesn't really know what he's doing Reads the script in front of him, can't ad-lib, can't really act. <laughs> I, I, you know how I feel about Wales, but I'm going to say George Lazenby. Oh, George Lazenby was a far finer actor than uh, Roger Moore. Roger Moore's quintessential Bond. I feel a schlan slam coming on, but we'll save that maybe for a later day. Okay. Yeah, so um, I do think he's aspirational. I do think it's one of those things that a lot of German men would find quite attractive. But it is. it does speak to the kind of kind of person he is and politician that he is that during a a period where Europe is the hottest it's ever been he's knocking about with a private jet you know it's all a little bit ridiculous and by contrast of course we had Harbeck pictured on the same day getting the train to sit Mm. to attend the same wedding Uh, so it's definitely uh, diametrically opposed so I guess my final question on this is do you reckon that Merckx has one or two Harley Davidsons in his garage to be real (laughs) German middle class aspiration (laughs) I think he definitely has a Harley Davidson. Uh-huh. He definitely has a Porsche somewhere. Oh, yellow yeah. Porsche. Yeah, yeah. For sure. I think he's got two, an old one and a new one. And he has a Porsche hat as well and a Porsche keyring. Yeah, yeah. He's got all that shit. I don't think he has a Harley Davidson, but I think he has a jacket with a Harley Davidson logo on it and he Ooh. likes to wear it around. So people think he has a Harley Davidson, but he probably drives a very sensible BMW. That would be my prediction. You might be onto something. Maybe he's like secretly part of the Hells Angels and he's got a nice cut. Aye, well, I mean, if he's part of the Hells Angels, that might be a reason to vote for him. Nah, uh, nah, still not a reason to vote for him. I can't, it's not very compatible with CDU, but yeah, it's nice to dream. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you, listener. I don't know fucking anything about TikTok. (laughs) But what I do know is it's very important for social media that we see as many TikTok videos as possible. And one that crossed my path last week was the unfortunate story of an 18-year-old who had decided uh, with the kind of gumption that only an 18-year-old can have that he wanted to walk from Ludenscheid to the Dutch Sea which is a, a bit of a distance at least. I think in total the distance is something like 360 kilometers to do the whole trip. And he started his journey in, in Ludenscheid and, and his plan was to TikTok his way through it. And he, <laughs> to and he, TikTok he, his way through it. He's going to TikTok his way through it. See, I know I know what TikTok is. I'm, I'm down <laughs> with the kids. It's a verb. <laughs> and so he TikToked along the way. Uh, so he was, he was basically checking in and he became a little bit of a sensation as he attempted this, this journey. Uh, he wasn't exactly well prepared because he, uh, despite knowing that he was going to go on a long distance hike of at least 35 kilometers, he decided to wear, um, this is a, a new word for me, Adaletta. Adaletten. Adaletten, sorry. See, told you it was a new word. Uh, they're like the gummy sort of slippers that sports people wear. Usually that's what I see most like footballers wearing them, these sort of flip-flops. Yeah, so the Adidas flip-flops without the bit in the toe, like wide band on the top. And he had a sleeping bag and a few other clothes with him. So not massively prepared for the journey. And it turned out that this preparation really did predict how successful he would be. After he arrived in Wuppertal, uh, and the, walking the distance of 35 kilometers and complaining about how his feet were uh, a little bit sore and that he may have slightly misjudged the choice of slippers instead of walking shoes, he couldn't find anywhere to stay. So he gave up. And has promised to go back on his attempt eventually later. But and more than five million people saw the video. Yeah, 
uh, and and they were there was some support but also some skepticism so for the uh the skeptics i'm going to invite you simon to tell us what was your opinion of this young man and his youthful adventures it's like an Enid Blyton character. No, this character was in Enid Blyton. It'd be dead. It would be eaten by something on the side of the road as a, as, as a proverb to the others. Like, this is how you don't do it. <laughs> like, I'm all for wackiness. Like, that's fine. If you want to get your numbers up on TikTok by saying, I'm going to walk 360 kilometers and added letting all power to you. I respect this kind of career planning. Like, it's good. But giving up after one day is just so unbelievably poor form. Like, get past the first day, sleep rough for one night, and then you walk the next day, and then you're like, oh, I've made a mistake. But he didn't even sleep rough or anything. And like, he said that he didn't want to get a hostel for 100 euros. Hostels are not 100 fucking euros. That upset me. And then he got offered places to sleep by other people who were following him, and he turned them down. It's like, what did he imagine was going to happen? It really, really pisses me off that this kid is now kind of like TikTok famous and that he's riding the coattails of Adidas's Adiletten, um, which are, of course, what all the cool kids wear. Cool Germans now wear white socks, three stripes at the top, Adiletten on the bottom, bang, hit of the summer. And I'm all with the people who are complaining about this. I'm not really sure what I'm meant to make of this. Again, like I said, I'm not really big on the TikToks, he said, sounding like a... 85 year old man i think it's inoffensive it's a kid he's 18 years old he made a mistake he did it on tiktok i'm not sure if i'm meant to get outraged about it or whether i'm just i'm just supposed to sort of accept that this is what young people are like nowadays that they're all a little bit weak in the stomach and green around the gills and they can't take a little bit of a challenge i'm not entirely sure that really is representative of young people today certainly not the young people that i know but it just seemed like a little bit of a dumb thing to sort of promote. Like, don't make promises that you can't keep. And certainly don't do it on TikTok for likes and uh, upvotes and whatever it is that you get on TikTok. Hugs? I don't know, is it? Kisses on the lips? I just want more resilience. This is what I want. <laughs> you want more resilience? Like quitting after a day is is just not even a full day. It's bullshit. And that's why at the start of the show, I made you say the quote. Do you remember it? I do remember it. You said big no to sandals. <laughs> no, uh, no, what I made you say, Aufgeben ist niemals ein Option. Oh, right, that bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that is uh, from the great Anna Ivanovich, which is, of course, the wife, the partner of Bastian Schweinsteiger, ex Bayern and Man United footballer. So they know that the Schweinies and the Ivanoviches, a little sign about not giving up. And I think this hang on, kid. Hang on. What? Didn't Schweinsteiger retire? Isn't that the ultimate quitting? If he's really meant to not be quitting, he should be playing football now. He so be- is this what you're going to tell all the doctors <laughs> that retire at the end? Like, oh, you're you're quitting, you suckers! You, you don't How get dare quit. you! You don't get to retire. You got to do it until until one or other body part gives up on you. And like, if he retired after his leg fell off, then I'd be like, yeah, fair play. He's not a quitter. But right now, I'd say Bastian Schweinsteiger is the well, biggest quitter of them all. And this isn't based on the fact that my wife l- really loves him, and and it's not nothing to do with jealousy. Well, there we go, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Nick has just started his campaign to be the new leader of the Conservative Party by saying that instead of retiring, we will have to work into the grave. <laughs> yeah, literally. Like, you work, and then your last day, you just keel over and they bury you where you fell. That's that's my future. <laughs> Saves a lot of money on pensions. Just keep working. Keep working. I think it is one of these stories that, that is designed to attract those people who are like oh kids today in my day we used to walk 75 miles to go to the toilet and we had to kill a man to get a loaf of bread and i feel it kind of blends into that it's kind of a, a weak-willed 18 year old who did a tiktok video i'm not entirely concerned that it, it represents young people today just this rather weak-willed uh, young person Oh, yeah, fuck this kid. <laughs> he really upset me. He could have been so great. He could have been like the feel-good story. He could have been Germany's Forrest Gump. And instead, <laughs> he's Forrest Chump. Oh, well, we're not going to do any better than that, I don't think. Can't argue with that, so I'll, I'll, I'll let that stand. I agree. You've changed my perspective. What a bastard. <laughs> yeah, what a bastard. Fuck TikTok. <laughs> 
Hallo zusammen. Servusla. That brings us to the end of the show. We're off to cry a little thinking about the reality that one of those fuckers in the Tory leadership contest are going to be the Prime Minister of the UK in a matter of weeks. Blah. <laughs> if you're enjoying the podcast, why not give us a rating on iTunes? Don't cry, it's okay. <laughs> if you want me to stop crying, give us ratings. Um, you can do stars on Spotify. Chuck some of them our way. It'll make me much, much happier. Retweet us, share a link, or post with a hashtag decades from home or lowercase on Twitter or Instagram. You can also follow and support the podcast by going to ko-fi.com forward slash decades from home and contributing to keep us well stocked in the latest hiking adiletum. They ain't cheap. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I want a pair. I'll, I'll donate mine to Simon. He can have two pairs. Um, as ever, if you have any questions, feedback, or maybe an article or topic you'd like us to cover, you can tweet Simon on at decades from home, and you can tweet me at 40% German. You can also get us on 40% German at gmail.com. If you have time, take a look at 40%german.com. Weekly articles are up every Saturday. All that's left to say is thanks and bis some next and mal. Ciao mit Fau, adieu. Tschüss.